Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO, co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. In the past few episodes and and really over the past few months, we've heard a wide uh, variety of people talk about something called reference-based pricing, usually in relation to dealing with employers, working around the benefit space. So today we invited an expert in reference-based pricing, Mr. Dan Malin, Senior Vice President, Broker Relations at Payer Compass. Dan, welcome to Healthcare Americana. Great to have you. So let's kick it off here. What do people need to know about this RBP or this reference-based pricing that we keep hearing about when it comes to benefits in the healthcare world? Well, thank you very much, Chris, for having me. Um, Reference-based pricing is something that has been emerging over the last seven or eight years as an alternative to the traditional networks. And and essentially what reference-based pricing does at its core is it reprices medical claims at a percentage of Medicare um, and typically a multiple of Medicare, not just a smaller percentage. But if Medicare is a dollar, we reprice medical claims anywhere from 120 to 250% of Medicare. And the amount that we decide to reimburse becomes a function of what the employer and their plan wants to achieve in terms of reimbursing the local providers. So uh, Payer Compass is in the business of repricing medical claims at a percentage of Medicare. That's what what our core business is. There's a lot of questions that come up from that. And and we were just talking offline, kind of who the audience of the podcast here. And I said, well, it's all very much wide ranging. We get, you know, patients, we get uh, users of medical services, I will say. I'm not always big on the word patient. Uh, Physicians looking for a different way to do things. And then benefits advisors or employers in the HR space and finance space looking for options on how to better take care of their teams, better take care of their people, their employees. So, for them, you know, this might be a new concept. And when you say, well, it's tied to Medicare rates, all that kind of stuff. Do people's eyes kind of glaze over when you say that, when you're trying to explain it to somebody uh, on why this is a better option? Well, obviously, it's a, one of the challenges we have here is people are so in tune to their insurance card, which is Aetna, Blue Cross, United Healthcare. And one of the things with reference-based pricing, and I, when I do presentations, I basically take your card out of your pocket and throw it off your shoulder and basically get rid of it. You're you're now in an environment with reference-based pricing. You don't have a network, and that's a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because you now have more transparent pricing on the front end, but also you can go to any provider anywhere in the country, and you're now in network. One of the downsides of the network, it's very easy to run into a physician or some kind of a specialist that's not in your network, and all of a sudden now you have an out-of-network penalty. And so people start to think, oh, yeah, I've had an out-of-network penalty. I understand what that means. And so you mean if I go to reference-based pricing, then as long as they accept the percentage of Medicare we're offering, we're good. I said, yeah, you can go to any provider you want to go to. So that's kind of one of the very first things that happens. The second thing that they don't understand is the, the concept of bill charges and discounts, because 
in the network environment, what happens is you have a build charge and then you have a discount that's generated by the network. It could be 25, 35, 55, 75%, whatever the number is. But typically an average discount is 50%. When you start looking at build charges and compare them against Medicare and the multiples of Medicare, our average discount off of build charges using the methodologies we use is about 70% off of build charges where the average network is about 50% off of build charges. So we're going to be 20% less. Now, where this becomes important is if you have a large claim, and in the smaller claims, it doesn't make a lot of difference, but as the claims get larger and larger, employers who are self-funded and are writing these checks and have a $200,000 claim, if you get a 50% discount, now you have $100,000 you have to come out of pocket with to pay that claim. But if you have a 70% discount, now that claim, instead of being $100,000, is now $60,000. And in the world of the employer-paid health plans, that becomes a major issue for the employers because they start to recognize commercial insurance is subsidizing these hospitals and these providers by virtue of the fact we're paying more than the average. So there's an issue of transparency here. There's an issue of lots of things that are going on. But at the end of the day, it's all about the cost of healthcare. And depending on how aggressive my employer wants to be, if he comes to us and says, we want to be at 140% of Medicare pay providers, let's go 140%. That will save us more money. They can say 170% and 180%. We'll set that reimbursement level whatever, wherever they want to set it. So does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, so continue with the mechanics of that. So you're working with employers, mostly with uh, self-funded uh, employers who have control over their own plans. And they're the ones really getting hurt by these outrageous claims out there that they don't have an option for. So kind of walk us through what you do when, you know, a typical employer of about how many patients calls you, or I'm sorry, sorry, a typical employer about how many employees calls you. So, so let's go back to some basic demographics in America today, because I want to Please. talk about the healthcare market generally. So 50% of people who have healthcare coverage of some kind are insured through their employer medical plan. And when you break that down into three different groups, there's the employer who has less than 10 employees, then the employers, employees that have 10 to 100, and then the employers that have over 100. And I want to go specifically to the employers who have over 100 employees. And here's why. The average number of employees is 700. Okay. All those people are self-funded. That also represents 65% of all employed Americans today in the private sector and 75% of all payroll. So that's a huge portion of the, of the demographic. All of those people are self-funded for their health insurance plans. And so they have control over the cost of what's going on. And when one of those people come to us, they say, we want to do reference-based pricing. Um, they can say to us, let's do it at 150% of Medicare. And they compare that to a network. I just did one on a school district with 750 employees. And they were with Aetna at a 55% average discount. Well, if you go to 170% of Medicare, we actually save about $200 per employee per month for that school district, okay? That's kind of where the mechanics and the rubber meets the road. Um, now, the question is going to come up, what about balanced bills and what about providers that don't want to take reference-based pricing? Well, there's some interesting dynamics there. 
there are now providers who are willing to accept reference-based pricing at 140, 150% of Medicare because so much of their business is Medicare that they realize at 150% of Medicare, they're actually making a little bit of money. And they would rather have an employer send them an employee at 150% of Medicare than have an employee and their family not have any coverage at all. And that's what it's coming to. For me, like the big question mark here coming from the direct care world is when you tie something to Medicare, there seems to be a lot of loose ends and you're kind of at the mercy of this kind of ambiguous floating government body out there. Have you experienced any issues with Medicare moving the ball and then you guys have to react to that or people not really understanding where so that's, the government reimbursement policy comes from? So that's the power of, of technology and the power of payer compass. Mm-hmm. And what we do at payer compass is we have, this has been very interesting. I've been a, an insurance broker for almost 50 years. I now work for a technology company. And this is, if I would do a comparison, this is the Tesla of healthcare. Okay. The technology under the hood, most people wouldn't understand it if they, if they got into it, looked at it. But man, when it runs, it does a great job. And all you get to do is plug it in once in a while and it goes down the road. Okay. The, the technology behind this is amazing because we stay on top of every little nuance of Medicare. Literally, we have a staff of people every day. And as Medicare moves, we move. We react to it, we respond to it, and we're ready with it. When COVID showed up, we adapted to all the COVID protocols within two weeks. Okay. We had them all loaded in the system. Okay. And, and that's one of the, the, the pieces of this. The other thing is we have Within our, within our technology, we have the capacity to adapt uh, to things that don't get covered by Medicare, because we also reprice Medicaid claims, tribal claims, um, prison claims, uh, Medicare Advantage. So we are a technology platform that encompasses everything to do with healthcare. Reference-based pricing is a piece of it. It's not all of it, but we can gather that we have such a volume of claims data that comes at us every day that we're constantly updating what's going on. The other thing we do is we provide an audit trail for every claim we adjust. Now, there's another interesting provision here, and that is we don't actually pay claims. We enter into agreements with independent third-party administrators who then take our data and use that to actually write the checks. We contract with the independent third-party administrators. We don't contract directly with the employer. Yeah, so keep walking us down that. Yeah, absolutely, and and I appreciate kind of the uh, the background of what Paracompass does. So keep walking us through there. Can we started on that? You know, your ideal customer uh, over the hundred employee mark. You said about average seven hundred. So walk us through when they call you up and say, Dan, I want to institute this. What are our next steps? What do you guys do in order to build these deals, for lack of a better word, and institute so- the RBP? So let me articulate, I'm going to take it back to the Tesla, okay? We're the engine for the repricing, but somebody else has to put the tires on the car. Somebody's got to put the doors and the windows and the rest of the electronics, all that has to be done. And the key linchpin here is the broker and the third-party administrator because the broker's got to be the designer. It's a little bit like being a quarterback. Mm-hmm. The broker's got the ball because he has the relationship with the client and he takes reference-based pricing in as, this is going to be the engine for our pricing. Okay, this is how we are going to keep our pricing down. But they also add PBMs. We're not, we don't get involved in drugs at all. Drugs is a huge piece of the cost structure. So he has to bring that piece. Third-party administrator, he has to bring that piece. 
Um, he may bring uh, bundled surgical services. He may bring direct primary care. All of those parts and pieces, like a big puzzle, okay? We're just one part of the puzzle, and the quarterback of that puzzle is typically the broker. And, and my job within Payer Compass is to educate brokers of how to take reference-based pricing and put it into the puzzle that they're creating for that employer and solve that problem. And it's not a simple matter. Um, I've got an 1800 life case I'm working on right now where the integration of reference-based pricing into their culture is a six to eight month process. If they decide they wanna do it, they have to decide. And in many instances, they have to go and educate all their employees around, hey, we're gonna take away your blue cross card. Well. When you do that in a group of 1,800 employees, you're going to create all kinds of chaos, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And that chaos needs to be managed. And typically, it's the broker, the HR department, the third-party administrator, all in a collaborative effort with reference-based pricing and us to kind of make sure that, that pieces, those pieces all go together. The disruption initially is pretty significant, but the outcome on the back end 12 to 24 months later is significant because what we've done, healthcare costs are rising at seven to eight percent per annum. And this what this does is it actually bends the curve and it actually watches as healthcare costs are reduced and more money is available to pay wages. In the school district, I gave you an example of we're going to free up about two million dollars or about one hundred and sixty dollars a student for that wow. school district that has 11,500 people. Well, what can we do with that, 11, that, that $160 a student? Well, we can pay more wages. We can do capital improvements. I mean, we, there's many things that those dollars can go towards as opposed to just going to the local hospital. It, it basically frees up money that, that would otherwise go to things that they'd never be able to see. Sure, 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 sure. So the impact is real. And that, that point just illustrates that. You said you spent some time educating brokers on exactly what this is. Was there ever a light bulb moment when you're sitting talking to somebody and all of a sudden you realize, okay, they just got it and they just their mind is absolutely blown at this point? So brokers come in three sizes, the disruptors, the doubters, and the protectors. The I like disruptors that, yeah. are the people that lead the charge, okay? The doubters, they look at you and go, this is right, but I don't know how to do it. And I'm not sure I want to go through the brain damage because I have to disrupt. Doubters don't like disruption, mm -hmm. okay? Doubters want the status quo to remain. And then you have the protectors, and the protectors are those people that basically say, we do not, we like the system the way it is because we make a lot of money, we do it the way we're going to do it, we protect our interests, and we're, we're not going to move. Well, if I had to give you the overall split of, of where the doubters, the disruptors, the disruptors, doubters, and protectors, the disruptors are 10%. The doubters are about 30% and the protectors are about 60%. Now, the good news is the disruptors are growing, but the economics in this thing, I mean, we're looking at 20% of gross domestic product in terms of the total spend for healthcare in America. And it, the reason I'm still involved after 50 years is I have seven grandkids and I'm leaving a legacy for them right now that's a problem. My granddaughter who will be 18 in 10 years by the time she gets there, health insurance will cost somewhere between forty and fifty thousand dollars per family in America, at the trajectory it's currently at. It's not sustainable. We got to right. fix it, and right. and reference-based pricing is one of those fixes. So that ten percent of brokers who you classify as disruptors, 
what's it like working with them and how quickly is that subset of people growing? So it's growing quite quickly at the moment and, and they fall into the category that they're, they're highly motivated, they're highly educated, they're great communicators, they got great work ethic and they don't mind disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, they're men and women and they're, they range in age from late 20s to mid 40s and the thing I'm excited about, I call them their, my legacy brokers and I've identified maybe 60 or 70 or 80 of them around the United States each one of them has a block of business that they're continuing to grow and they're adding to those clients one at a time. And as the story gets out, there are more people talking to each other. This thing's it's like a grass fire. Mm-hmm. You, you, I don't know if you're, well, I grew up, I'm, I'm from Kansas. And so what they do is they burn off the pastures. What you do is you light the fire at the edge of the field and then you wait for the wind to blow. Mm-hmm. And by the time the wind blows, you brace, and that's what we've got going on here. This RBP and the, the initiatives that these disruptors are creating will take another seven to 10 years to come to full measure. Okay. But, but at the end of the day, the, the marketplace is going to demand that something happen because it's where the trajectory we're on is not sustainable in terms of quality of healthcare and the cost of healthcare. Well, like you said, if, if uh, you know, in a little over a decade, the cost of a health and premium, you know, for a family of four right now is, I think, twenty thousand uh, dollars in twenty twenty last 30, year. Thirty. It's almost thirty. It's almost thirty. And here's now. where you're missing it. Goodness. Here's here's where you're missing it, and that is, the federal government this year will spend a trillion dollars on subsidized health care in America. There's 128 million households in America. If you do the math, that's eight thousand dollars a household. Okay. So your household, and when you paid your taxes, contributed $8,000 to healthcare in America, in addition to your personal premiums, deductibles, co-pays, and the things that you paid for you. So by the time you spend, you know, uh, $15,000 or $20,000 for you, plus the tax subsidy, you're at $30,000 of cost for healthcare in America per family. Price of a small car or somebody's actual household <laughs> you income. You buy a really nice car for $30,000. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So what type of barriers are you encountering? Um, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, this must be exhausting to go out and try to sign in deals with local hospital groups, local physician groups. Um, is that an issue ever? Anywhere? No, and actually, actually, we're gaining traction every day. Um, we're finding that that what's happening is that it, large employers and, and even smaller employers now are finding facilities and hospitals where there's a direct contract. In other words, the hospital is contracting direct with the employer at a percentage of Medicare where everybody agrees. And now what happens, and this is a win-win. I, I have this going on in several places in the United States today, what we call direct contracts. Now, Payer Compass never holds a direct contract, but currently we are repricing about 80,000 direct contracts. We are repricing claims today under 80,000 direct contracts between an employer, and it's either the employer, the plant, the, the uh, broker, or the third-party administrator that holds that contract. They send us the terms of it. That claim comes to us, and when it goes back out, we've repriced it according to the terms of that contract. So, but there's about 80,000 of those direct contracts currently that we are seeing. We don't own them. We don't control them. We never want to be a network. We're strictly a technology company. Okay. 
So, but that number continues to grow and grow and grow. I'm, I'm working on a case right now where we have a, a, a hospital that's agreed at 165% of Medicare, what they call their tier one, they're going to contract with employers. And when those employers send employees under that contract, guess what? Zero deductible, zero copay for the employee. So they're incented to use that particular hospital. And that hospital is currently not in network for Blue Cross. So which means what they're trying to do is regain their market share um, in a particular community where they happen to be. Switching gears a little bit and talking about that conversation to employees, what do those look like for companies that have that conversation and they do it well versus companies that have that conversation about switching plans and they fall on their face? Is there any big differences that you've seen? <laughs> you know, it's all, you, you hit it. It's all about leadership. Okay. Everything here we're talking about hinges on leadership. And when I talk to brokers, I say, you're no longer a broker. You're now a leader. Okay. And, and if you can't align yourself, and I had this conversation yesterday at lunchtime with a broker here in Kansas City. He said, we walk in and we send our, we do our presentation. If they're not aligned with us and willing to go through the disruption and lead their people through this process, we pack our bags and we're gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let them continue to pay high cost of health care. I saw, I, I, we went to a city in Georgia that's spending $900 per employee per month. And we offered them a plan that would take it to 450. And they said, we don't want to disrupt the Blue Cross arrangements that we currently have. It's too disruptive for employees. We're going to continue <laughs> to pay $900 a month. And I, you know, I'm looking at that and going, well, you got to be kidding me. Somewhere along the line, they're going to have to come back and, and, this thing's not going away anytime soon, and it will eventually come around. We have a large employer, 700 lives. We saved them a million dollars the first year. They now have referred us to five or six of their competitors and some of their suppliers. So this thing is going to grow. It's going to continue to evolve. And, it, and it's like everything else. If 20 years ago, if somebody would have told you you're going to drive a car with a battery and not a motor, you'd have told them they were nuts. Okay. And, and it, it, now we're in a place with reference-based pricing and some of the things we're doing now is everybody says this is not going to work. And I'm here to tell you it's working. Okay. It's not pretty. Okay. There's a lot of disruption. There's a lot of market shift that's going to take place. But look what's happening. Tesla has, has evolved into the market. So is the, the Prius. And some of the other cars, we're now seeing more and more electric cars and less and less combustion engines. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, will combustion engines go away? No, not at all. But the point is that there's a shift in the marketplace that's taking place. That's what's going to happen with reference-based pricing. Part of the reason I'm excited about young producers is because I'm, re- I'm ready to retire, but I want I know that I've got 70 to 100 disciples of reference-based pricing out there that are going to push this and there'll be 150 next year and 500 the year after that and 2000 the year after that. So let's continue talking about that evolution. You know, maybe someday we do see the retirement of the internal combustion engine for passenger passenger vehicles. Um, Let's continue that. Do you ever think that we move away from employer-based health insurance Um, in this country? Let's put it this way. Notwithstanding political changes and wins, the answer is no. And here's why. Because the efficiencies with which healthcare gets delivered in an employer self-funded environment is a benefit to the employer because what he can they can do and, and 
a lot of this has to do with the unions because the unions, most of the unions have in, incredibly strong health insurance plans, but there's no insurance really. It's all self-funding. Mm-hmm. So they're going to continue to manage that proactively. And they represent such a large portion of the, of the country and the people insured. People do are, are petrified to go to, on the Medicare after they've been on a nice group health insurance plan. Okay. Because they know access is going to be, access is going to be less. There's going to be more restrictions, more limitations, et cetera. And I really don't have a lot of control over what happens to me. Mm-hmm. And it's going to continue to get more and more expensive. There's an entire element in America that once they come off their group health insurance plan and goes on to Medicare is like, oh, and I'm one of those guys. Yeah. Right now I'm Medicare eligible and I'm still on my group health plan because it's a better deal than Medicare. Now I'm going to go on Medicare eventually when I retire. Well, you have my to. wife and I are fully. <laughs> it becomes mandatory, employed. right? Right. I said you right. have to. Medicare becomes mandatory. So maybe that's a better way to ask this question. Do you ever think that the stars align and we say, hey, United States federal government, we don't want to go on to Medicare. This should not be mandatory for anybody who's over the age of 65 and doesn't have a group plan through their company. Yeah, well, at some point, you know, this, this, the whole Medicare for all is probably not a reality, but Medicare is an option and some form of, of public insurance. And Medicaid right now is being expanded across the United States. And this $1.9 trillion fund that we just, you know, voted in allowed for funds for many states who have not enhanced Medicaid to start to enhance it and giving them the funds to do that. The challenge those states have, they know that if we push it out and later we lose the federal funding, now we got to fund it ourselves. Right. And that's the primary reason why they haven't gone to it. Uh, you talk but, about, you talk about narrow networks and yeah. If you oh my gosh. Medicaid, good, goodness gracious, your choices are few and far between, but I don't know why the conversation always focuses on health coverage and not actually the medical care that's delivered, you know, whether well, it's through different payment options or cutting edge stuff like you guys are doing. It just always misses the point to me. So one of the things, one of the precepts in America today is I have my Blue Cross card. That is the gatekeeper to my health care. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge proponent of direct primary care. Would you rather have a card as your gatekeeper or a direct primary care physician? I personally have a direct primary care physician and he's my gatekeeper in my health care. Okay. I don't want the card to tell me what I can do. I can't do. I want the doctor to tell me what I can and can't do. It's okay. a theme. It's a theme we touch upon a lot rather than going down to a doctor's office waiting three months and then holding up the card and saying, Hey, I want whatever this gets me. Um, now, instead of an insurance card, you have a phone number on speed dial. And I, I'd say like, well, that's, you, that's not, making it real. Well, not only that, you don't have a phone number and speed dial. You pick up the phone and, and call your doctor right here and have a conversation and discuss an issue. I, I've got a primary care physician in Georgia that basically took a 700 life group and, and because of COVID, they, had, they were out of business. The way he managed the COVID crisis for that particular employer, they were back, in, back at work two weeks or three weeks before everybody else. Okay, yeah, real, real and, and they're, they're paying him a flat amount of money and his employees are going, they saved their employees $600 a year in deductibles and co-pays. They saved the company a million dollars just by going to direct primary care. Jeez. And they're, they're over the moon about it. So let's, let's, had, let's, let's keep, let's follow that kind of line of thought. Explain how 
reference-based pricing and Paracompass incorporate with direct care physicians. Um, is that something that is difficult to do? Or you, like you just said, this, these are realities. People are already doing it's, this. So, How are they so, doing so, it? So, so it's not difficult, but it is very disruptive. And, and so, so let me articulate it this way. Let's think in terms of a claim, okay? A claim that is going to be, let's talk about a hernia operation. And a hernia operation in a traditional environment, you're going to pay your deductibles and co-pays, and then you're going to go to the hospital and you're going to get a discount. So the build charge on that, that hernia might be $70,000, $80,000, and the actual reimbursement would be about $35,000 or $40,000. Well, what happens with direct primary care? Direct primary care takes the bottom out of the claim. So I'm paying a flat amount of money to that, that physician, and he's managing me without having to pay deductibles and co-pays. And then what he does is he says, okay, yes, you need to have surgery. And then he helps me to find the right surgeon, et cetera. And then we, go, we can shop, we can figure out, maybe I can go to the surgery center of Oklahoma and I can go price that and he's going to help manage that. And now I got the whole thing done for $15,000 and I haven't mm-hmm. paid the dime out of pocket. Now, so essentially what happens is reference-based pricing takes the top out of the claim and direct primary care takes the bottom out of the claim. And as a result, the cost of that claim is that much less. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. The problem is you have to get people to believe what you're saying. And they're looking at you like you're a, well, like you're a zombie. You're doing what? You're throwing away my Blue Cross card. I can't have my card, but I'm going to have lower health care costs. I don't care about lower health care costs because I don't spend it anyway. Okay. All I do is pay my deductibles and co-pays and everybody else gets to t- take care of. I don't care what the other side of it looks like. It reminds me of a funny story. Biggest hurdle. Yeah. It reminds me of, of a funny story and maybe not, not so funny, but I got a chuckle out of it. Um, was talking to a, uh, a business who contacted us wanting to use kind of this, this, um, this group of direct care physicians that we work with, you know, around the country and they said, well, I, I don't really know what to do because we just hired somebody. And the first question that they ask whenever we're interviewing anybody and we, you know, get down to the second interview is they say, well, do you have, do you have healthcare benefits? And we're scared to death to tell them no. And I'm saying, well, what if you just re- rewrite your definition of healthcare benefits instead of giving them that card? You say, here's your doctor. Now, this is your healthcare benefit. But to me, employers, small, large, medium, they're so ingrained into benefit equals insurance. Is that that's faulty right. thinking? Is there, no, is there room for innovation thinking. within that? That's absolutely faulty thinking. Um, we, we have a, uh, a direct primary care physician I know well that has a lot of small local employers that have come to him and said, we can't afford health care, health insurance for our people, but we'd like to enroll them in your health, in your clinic. And so for 50 or 60 bucks a month, they have that primary care access, then what they do is they go out and they buy an indemn- a hospital indemnity policy or some kind of a limited contract on top of that. So if they have a catastrophic event, at least they have some coverage. And the net of that is, you know, for $200 a month or $150 a month, they now have at least something as opposed to nothing. And, and the primary care physician actually can do about 80% of what specialists would do anyway. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in a direct care environment. And again, re- reference-based pricing takes the top out of the claim when you're in a, in an, a self-funded environment, because that's really where 
reference-based pricing works west works only in a self-funded environment. Right. And that's for larger employers. Now, the other thing that's happening is that there are now self-funded plans that go down to groups as small as two lives. So I have seen reference-based pricing on a two-life group. Okay. And direct primary care on a two-life group. So it's not impossible to bring it down to those smaller amounts. It's just a different, it's a different structure, but there is is provision to do that. Absolutely. And and this is kind of the last uh, kind of, kind of segment here as we continue along this path of thinking, but you mentioned, you know, Surgery Center of Oklahoma and Dr. Smith's doing wonderful things down there. And obviously the free market medical association association and and James have been great partners and friends of ours here on the show. Yep. What does this look like as direct care continues to expand and you start getting more specialists on board, keeping people out of hospitals? Um, How does reference-based pricing continue to fit within that world if somebody has direct primary care, direct specialty care, they're paying cash for everything? It seems to me that RBP is still going to be very, very relevant in order to save even more money for plans, for employers, excuse me. So the, the our reference-based pricing will always be around in some capacity. Bundle pricing, like what Keith Smith does at the Oak Surgery Center of Oklahoma, is a type of reference-based pricing. But what happens is there's he can't do everything. So you've got a, a, a cancer event and you need to go to, you've got three or four different hospitals to go to. And we, we have a directory inside of Payer Compass that can be accessed by members that tells them who is accepting reference-based pricing and who is not. So now we're, now we're starting to be able to shop for healthcare services. And if we need to go to see an oncologist or we need to go see a, a cardiologist, we can bring up a zip code and go around 40 or 50 miles or hundred miles and decide there's a guy there that's accepting reference-based pricing. And you can call payer compass through the TPA or call the TPA we'll reach out to that provider and make sure that they're accepting reference-based pricing at what percentage, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a proactive end of this that helps the member navigate the system and gets to a price point that's advantageous for everybody concerned. The employer, the employee, you know, the terms all become more favorable when there's communications and uh, payer compass helps to, to facilitate some of that. So, um, but there's always going to be a place for reference-based pricing. Yeah, good to hear. It it, uh, it gives people a way to go out there. And, you know, we're big on transparent pricing and actually knowing the price, not necessarily the cost of something, because we do believe in business and the ability to make a profit. But being able to know what you're going to pay up front and shop around, um, you know, we always joke that if there's one thing that we are good at as Americans, it's shopping, finding the best deal. <laughs> Yeah, but we well, lose our minds when it comes to the doctor. <laughs> we never ask what the price is. And so this is just another little uh, piece of ammunition for us, another tool in the tool belt. Dan, I'll give you the last word here. I always like to you know, get people's uh, viewpoints. You know, you're, you're crowned emperor of the U.S. Uh, healthcare system, the, the healthcare czar for a day. What's the perfect system and perfect industry look like to you? You know, I, I, I would say three things. Number one is ultimate transparency. And you said it earlier, shopping. Okay. We're, we're, in, we're a, a consumer can be number one, educated, number two, informed, and number three, given the opportunity to make quality outcome decisions, 
And the problem is that the healthcare system is so complex, that's very difficult to do. In a perfect world, we would start educating children like we educate them now, you know, on, on how to buy healthcare. We teach them how to buy phones. We teach them how to buy cars. We teach them how to buy groceries. Let's teach them how to buy healthcare. Okay. And so in a perfect world, we start with youngsters and get them on board. What's interesting, I think, is that this little device right here, there's many, many applications that could be applied apps as they call them, you know, and, and I'm, I've watched apps evolve, but at the same time, more and more stuff is going to arrive here on our phone and they're going to be able to find out their own information. The biggest challenge is that you need a gatekeeper, somebody who you trust, who's medically competent, that you can go to and understand how to interact with them. And, and I think in a perfect world, why you would have, each one of us would have our own assigned direct primary care physician and be able to go directly to that person. Now, in many instances, in the old days, you know, when I was a kid, we had a primary care physician. He made house calls. The era of house calls is gone. But actually, actually, you know what? Era of house calls has come back on this, okay? Because now they're making house calls virtually. So in a perfect world, education, transparency, and consumers who have options and are given options and not told where to go and what to do. And then also accountability for quality of care, you know, because the quality metrics are something people are trying to chase now. And there's some good quality metrics out there, but people are not informed about them, don't know how to use them. I couldn't have said it better myself. Dan Balin, Senior VP Broker Relations with Pair Compass. Thanks for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And hopefully a lot of people got a little bit of some nuggets there about reference-based pricing. And if any brokers are interested in reaching out to you, Dan, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Dmailin at payercompass.com is my email address. And, uh, you know, if you go to the Payer Compass website, you can probably find us and, and somebody can reach out. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Dmailin, Dan Malin. Uh, you can find me and uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. And that's going to be it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO, co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. A big shout out to Melissa Turpin for her management of Healthcare Americana and Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro for all the production. Thanks for listening. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISA Health Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. 
Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. At Green Imaging, we provide diagnostic imaging procedures that include MRIs, CT scans, and x-rays for half of the average price in a health plan. Most people don't realize that the most expensive place to get an MRI is right down the hall from the prescribing doctor. This is because 70% of doctors are now employed or subsidized by our hospital systems. When we get an imaging exam at a hospital-owned imaging facility, the cost of care is three to seven times more expensive than it is at an independent imaging facility. There is a better choice that can save you up to 65% or more. That choice is green imaging. In most hospitals, there are 16 administrators for every single doctor. This creates an unnecessary burden on the price tag. By removing this excess, Green Imaging provides diagnostic services typically at one-third of the price or less. Check us out at greenimaging.net. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.